So this is lesson 31 of the book of Romans. Moving right along, we're continuing with Paul's defense of the Jewish people, particularly those who have not accepted Messiah Yeshua. He's told the Romans that they are, there is a remnant of Jewish people who are God's chosen and whom God has not yet called to faith in Messiah Yeshua. In the next few chapters, he's going to tell them why. Paul spent the whole of chapter 9 showing that God has not rejected Israel, but that he has a remnant of Jewish people that will be saved. He's told them over and over that God has not replaced Israel and will never forsake his Jewish people, if for no other reason than his promise to Abraham. And now at the end of chapter 9, he summarizes what he has said previously. And I want to say this one more time. If you're going to understand the rest of the book of Romans, you need to get these lessons 25 through 30. And you can go to the resource center and you can get those. But I've spent a lot of time on these chapters and uh, I've done a lot of review each week to ensure people understand, but that's pretty much over now. So We're going to pick up in chapter 9 today in verse 30 and continue on through chapter 10 and verse 4. <clears throat> Verse 30 says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And so Paul says, what shall we say then? In other words, he's saying, let's summarize this. Let's offer a conclusion here to what I said before. Shall we say that you Romans have attained righteousness even though you and your ancestors didn't pursue God? You didn't know his Torah? And yet the Jewish people who sought after God and obey his Torah did not? Do you remember from the earlier chapters what the Greek word righteousness means here? What it would mean? I put it up here again. It says in the broad sense, state of him who is as ought to be righteous, the condition acceptable to God. It means in essence that you've been justified before God. And we should remember that because Paul spent the first five or so chapters on this. Remember, he's writing to a people that he did not know and he wanted to make sure that they understood the gospel, the good news. Hence, we've got the first eight chapters. And when he says righteousness, he's speaking of this declaration by God that you are righteous and you receive it through faith in the Messiah Yeshua alone. It's your being justified before God. And with that in mind, remember when we when I pointed out the end of chapter 8, where he talks about uh, those he foreknew. I want to read it again. Chapter 8, verse 29, he says, <clears throat> For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstfruits among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So chapter 8 tells us that he's telling these Romans that God foreknew, foreknew the Romans who have come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. Hey, God foreknew you. 
And now let's compare that with what he says about the Jewish people at the start of chapter 9. He says, My kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises, whose are, whose are the fathers from whom Messiah, according to the flesh, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. Now, as I pointed out earlier, it, well, it's not word for word. You get the drift here. What he's saying, he's saying that God loves the people of Israel the same way he loves you. Israel was predestined as you were predestined. They are sons and by default were to be conformed to the image of his son as you were. They were called as you were called. They received the glory just as you were glorified. But he left something out when speaking of the Jewish people who had not come to faith in Messiah Yeshua. And what was it? When speaking of the Jewish people that he wishes he could be cut off for, he did not say, and those he called, he also justified. The Gentiles attained righteousness or justification and of Israel. He says this in verse 31. I'm going to read it again. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. They did not receive justification because when they looked into the Torah of righteousness, they missed the righteousness that's found there. Now we have the word law there, but we all should know that it is the Hebrew equivalent of Torah, and Torah does mean law. But in this case, we should look at it a little deeper. Torah also means instruction. I put the definition up here for instruction. So that we could, we could say that Israel, pursuing God's instruction of righteousness, did not arrive at the conclusion of the matter, the instruction. They missed God's teaching on righteousness. In other words, they didn't arrive at the truth of the Torah. But they pursued a righteousness that was by works of the law. And what did Paul say about works of the law in chapter 3? Verse 20. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. And let's just stop here for a minute and review. What were the works of the law? Was it the Torah itself? Well, for years, nobody knew what was the works of the law, but assumed that it meant no more Torah. That's what the church assumed it meant. Most thought that Paul had coined this new phrase, meaning no one will be justified by God's Torah until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And then in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we read this. Now we have written some of you of the works of the Torah, those which we determined which would be beneficial to you and your people because we have seen that you possess insight and knowledge of the Torah. Understand all these things and beseech him to set your counsel straight so that you can keep away from the evil thoughts and the counsel of Belial. Then you shall rejoice at the end time when you find the essence of our words to be true, and it will be reckoned to you 
as righteousness. In that you have done what is right and good before him to your own benefit and to that of Israel. And so here we have the same phrase used to describe keeping of Torah, but not just the commands of the Torah, but keeping the Torah per Qumran sect. And notice what it says. You have a knowledge of Torah, but then it says we have given you the works of the Torah, which we determined which would be beneficial to you. These folks being written to were knowledgeable of the Torah, and they were told that they were given these works of the Torah, and if they keep these works of the Torah, as this sect keeps Torah, not as the sect of Belial, or the folks called Belial, which I should add are the Pharisees, it will be credited to you as righteousness. And I say the word Belial refers to the Pharisees because, in this passage because the Pharisees were thought of as the sons of darkness by the Qumran sect. But what I want you to see here is that the works of the Torah were not the commands of the Torah, but the way you kept the commands of the Torah, by whose standards you kept the Torah. The works of the Torah, or how you kept Torah, actually are, became an identifier of the sect of Judaism you belong to. The Pharisees had their works of Torah. The Essenes had their works of Torah. And none of them were the same. And each... However, they did identify you as belonging to a specific group. And it was taught, as we see here, by each, if you were a member of that group and you did these things the way this group did, then you were in with God. You were going to be declared righteous. It's no different today. Each sect of Christianity teaches that you have to be this or you have to be that. You have to belong to this or you have to belong to that to be in with God. Well, we should all know by now that that's incorrect because one of the lessons of the early chapters is belonging to a people group does not give you justification. We just went through the sovereignty of God. He's going to have mercy on who will have mercy and he'll harden who he'll harden. You know, almost from the day I started walking with Yeshua 25 or so years ago, I kept the Sabbath much the same way as the modern Jewish people keep the Sabbath. No work, worship, go to synagogue. And I'll teach keeping Sabbath that way as long as I have breath. But I don't judge someone else's salvation by that. I'm not the judge, I'm just a teacher and I'm glad I'm not the judge. Because I would have made a lot of mistakes by now, already. The point being... Belonging to a group that keeps Shabbat in a certain way does not mean you're in or your group is in. If you want to be sure that you're in and righteous in your walk, then keep Torah as the master kept Torah. Keep his works of the law and you'll be in. That's the group you want to be a part of. All of that said to say this, God is sovereign. And don't be shocked on the day when you enter the kingdom to see those who never kept the Sabbath right there with you. Because there are going to be many of them there. God is sovereign. He knows your heart. And let's say this as well, so that I'm not misunderstood. That does not mean now that you have a knowledge of the Shabbat, you should forsake His holy day. Heaven forbid! Because God has mercy, but He also hardens. 
Listen, Paul is saying they kept the Torah through someone's works of Torah, but they missed the true righteousness found there because God's justification is not found in keeping the Torah. Keeping the Torah can never justify your past sins. And so what is the true righteousness found there? How do you find the true? Is there a true righteousness found there? Well, there absolutely is. Abraham found it. And Abraham's story's in there. Did he have the works of the Torah that Israel kept? Is that how he received right standing with God? Well, according to Scripture, Genesis chapter 15, this is how he received it. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. James concurs. When speaking of Abraham, he says this in chapter 2. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Abraham had no works of Torah of any group nor did he even have what we call the Torah. But what he did have was relationship and trust in God. He walked with the visible manifestation of God on the way to Sodom and knew him well enough and was friend enough that he questioned him about what he was going to do. Isaac, he did not become a shadow of the Messiah through works of the law imposed by the rabbis. Listen to what Genesis chapter 22 verse 9 says. And then they came to the place of which God told him and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And you've all heard the teaching before. Abraham is 137 years old here and Isaac is 37 years old. And can one 137 years old bind one who's 37 years old unless he's willing? Isaac became this amazing shadow because he too had relationship with God and trust in God that he would provide a lamb. Did Jacob become Israel through works of the law imposed by the Qumran sect? Well, we covered a few weeks ago. Genesis chapter 32 verse 8, 28 says, And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And verse 30 says, And so Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. He wrestled with God and with men. And what did he say? I have seen God face to face. He wrestled with the visible manifestation of God. You see, the righteousness found in the Torah is not one of knowing how to keep Torah a la Pharisees, a la Sadducees, a la Essenes. None of their works of the law. But it's found in knowing God, knowing His Messiah. And after being justified by faith in Messiah Yeshua, Yeshua, having faith and trust in God to walk out His Torah a la Messiah's works of the law. Not just that though. If you look into the Torah, you're going to find every burnt offering taught about what our devotion to God should be. Every morning and evening, 
God required the Israelites to offer an animal that was totally given to God. Nothing left for the priests. Nothing left for anyone. But everything was put on the altar and burned, rising a sweet savor to the Lord. And it was to teach what our lives should be. Totally given over, totally devoted to God. Well, think about it. Between those two burnt offerings was every sin offering. And every sin offering taught about the wages of sin being death. And because of that, God required a life for your life. And when your behavior fell outside of the total devotion that it should be, a life was required. The same is true of the guilt offerings. Also sandwiched between those burnt offerings, Symbolic of what your devotion to God should be was what we call fellowship and peace offerings. Whereby you offered a peace offering and with this offering, God received a portion, the priest received a portion and God gave a portion back to you and you sat down and you ate a meal from the Lord's table. You had offered this animal to the Lord. You had given this animal to the Lord and God gave you back a portion. And he gave the priest the portion. And so you were both eating from his table. Well, as we all should know, even the Passover lambs were a variation of the peace offering. And all Israel knew this. They all knew about the offerings from hearing the Torah portion week after week, from witnessing and participating in these things at the temple. They were all given to teach of the one who was totally given over to God. Every Yom Kippur, the goat and the bull offered in the temple for sin, taught of the one who by his life would make atonement for your life. Every peace offering taught about the one who would bring peace between you and God. Why? So that you could have relationship with him. So you could sit at the table with him. God forbid that you walk by the stake on the day that that one he sent died. Or if you heard of his life and death and resurrection recounted for you and you rejected it, then no matter how meticulously you kept the Shabbat, whether you kept it Allah Hillel or Allah Shammai or Allah the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you missed the justification found in the Torah. They pursued a righteousness found in the Torah through works. But the righteousness that is in the Torah can only be found in faith in the sovereignty of God and through relationship with God and through confidence in what Yeshua has done. Yes, they had the works of the law, but what did Habakkuk say? In chapter 2 he says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And so now we enter into chapter 10. And what you need to understand about chapter 10 is the first 13 verses are actually a complete section. These 13 verses are are divided by Paul into really eight sections. And you see each section begins with the word for. For. And what that tells you is that each of these eight statements are dependent on the other statement that went before. And the statements that go after. It's a complete unit. 
So yearly, you have to read this as one section. Today, we're going to read only the first four verses, but I want you to understand this is one section. We're only going to see the first three instances of this word for. But understand, the first 13 verses are all linked, and you cannot take a verse out. Because each one is dependent on the one that came before and the one that is going to come after. And if you take one out and read it by itself and make a doctrine out of it, you're going to err. As an example, for centuries the church has taken one of these four and used, it's really the third one, and used it, taken it out of context and used it to go their own way and forsake God's ways. And it's Romans 10.4. It reads, For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And if you read that, just the way it's written there, it's really clear. Messiah is the end of the Torah. The Torah has been removed by faith in Messiah Yeshua. Put it back into its context and properly translate the word telos, the Greek word that's translated end, to a correct translation of goal. And you've got a whole other ball of wax. The context is Paul is telling the Jewish people, how telling the Romans how the Jewish people missed the righteousness found in Torah. He's trying to explain to them that if you read the Torah and you miss the Messiah, who is the righteousness of God, you've read the book in vain. He begins the section, look at how he begins this section, almost the same way he began chapter 9. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Listen to what he does this time. This time, he calls these Roman Gentiles brothers. And we don't really grasp what a key word this is in in the context it's written here. It's not the same as if I would go up to you during the greeting session and say, Hey, brother, how you doing? That's not the same. Paul is calling a group of uncircumcised Gentiles that he doesn't even know who are boasting over his true brothers in the flesh, the same ones who are thinking more highly of themselves than his true brothers in the flesh. And so their effect, in effect, outside of the plan of God, as Paul sees it, And he says to them, brothers. Not only that, this is something that no Jewish person with the possible exception of another follower in Yeshua would ever do. Call an uncircumcised Gentile a brother? Read Acts chapter 10. You'll find that a Jew couldn't even eat with an uncircumcised Gentile. Acts chapter 15, and you'll find that there were many followers of Yeshua that didn't even call uncircumcised Gentiles. Not only did they not call them brothers, but they didn't even call them saved. As for Paul, he calls them brothers. Yet he doesn't even know them. Still, he says, brothers, and yes, they're brothers in Yeshua, but he's trying to get something across much greater than that. By using the term brothers, he's making an appeal to them. We are all one in Messiah, Jew and non-Jew. He's saying we're all brothers in God. I'm an apostle to the nations, and you are my brothers, just as the Jewish people are my brothers. And that's how he began chapter 9. Listen to what it says. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, 
the people of Israel. In chapter 9, the Jewish people, unsaved Jewish people, are brothers. And then he begins this section by calling these Roman Gentiles brothers. Look, guys. We all love God. God is sovereign. He loves the Jewish people. And he loves you. We're brothers. They are my brothers. You are my brother. We're all brothers. He's leading them to the point of the letter, which is really, let's start behaving like brothers. Paul does not see himself as superior, but he sees himself and these Gentiles as brothers in God. He sees himself and these Gentiles as brothers of his Jewish people as well. And what makes them all brothers? What makes us all brothers? Well, he begins to tell us with the first four of Romans chapter 10. He says, For I testify about them, they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Listen, we're brothers. Why? Because we have the same zeal for God. He says, they have a zeal for God. I don't really like the word zeal, even though it's it's an accurate translation, but it really doesn't go far enough. Zeal means as in love, as an extreme love for God. They have an extreme love for God as you have an extreme love for God. Paul is saying, brothers, they have the same zeal and love for God as you do. But then he says, but, the big but here. Their love for God is not based on knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of Torah? No, that's not the subject here. The subject is their zeal. Their knowledge is not, it is not based on the knowledge of God. Do they know Torah? Well, yes, they do. He told us in chapter 9, they pursued the Torah. And believe me, the Jewish people of Paul's day knew the Torah. As I said last week, a teacher friend of mine once said, why should I witness to Jewish people? They keep Torah better than we do. While I don't agree with his premise, I'm not witnessing to the Jewish people because they they haven't been justified yet. But they do keep Torah better than we do. If you consider keeping Torah by works of the Torah, they absolutely do keep it better than we do. But as Well, but as well as they know it, they know it word for word, they miss the righteousness found on its pages. And that brings us to the next verse, chapter 3, and the next 4. For, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They kept Torah by the works of the law, but they missed relationship with God that Abraham had, that Isaac had. They had not wrestled with God as Jacob did. They realized the meaning of the offerings and offered offerings, but they missed the one who would fulfill the meaning. They had walked by the Lamb of God and missed that He was the Lamb of God. That He was the fulfillment. He was the full atonement that all the centuries of Yom Kippur offerings foreshadowed. They missed it. And so he says next, the next four, for Messiah is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. They missed the communication of God 
about the one who would bring justification to everyone who believes. Was the Torah faulty? Was the Torah imperfect? Well, what did Paul say in chapter 7? He said, So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Again, was the Torah faulty? Not at all. Can you miss the communication of God found there? Well, yes, you can. And yes, they did. God offered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob relationship with him and they lived in relationship with God. God at Sinai offered Israel relationship with him. He said, if you hear my voice and keep my covenant. And after then they heard his voice. They said, no, we don't want to hear your voice anymore. God offered Israel relationship with God through the prophet like Moses. But they rejected him. God offered Israel a new covenant, one of relationship with him whereby... All will know him from the least to the greatest. And sadly, most don't know the one who can make it happen yet. Because does that mean God has forsaken Israel? Heaven forbid. Because if so, God's word has failed. Because as Paul pointed out, God has a remnant of Jewish people so that all Israel will be saved. Amen?